Here we go. Doing a podcast. This is the Witch's Magic Murder Mystery Podcast. Podcast. And I'm Kara. <laughs> I'm Megan. I think. That's Kara. <laughs> yep. Here Hello. we are. Here we are. It is another Friday full episode for you. Yes, but not a side piece. Not a side piece. But, but stay tuned for those side yeah. pieces on Tuesdays. I hope you guys have been enjoying those little short stories. Little the shouties. Yeah. Shorty. I enjoy telling them. I'm really excited about my next one that I have for you. (laughs) It's a good one. Is it so good? It's really good. I don't know what I'm going to do for my next one. I have so many. Because I have so many little bits and pieces of stories that, like, I didn't have enough on to do a full episode. So now I'm just pulling back to all of them. Mm. Maybe I'll talk about the eel pig. And lots of magic ones. Because a lot of the magic stories I found are too short. Yeah. And I was kind of saving them because I thought I'll just pile them all in one big episode. But now they're better as side pieces. Oh, yeah. They get their own little story. Oh, it's so fun. Anyway, their little 10 minute convo. Hi, guys. Hey, here we are. Um, so this one, I don't really know what to categorize it under. Okay. Because she's not a witch. She's not a magician. She's not anything bad. She's a badass woman. Kind of like the one I told uh, not too long ago about the female FBI agent. The investigator. The Pinkerton detective. Yeah. So maybe we'll do, we'll just make her an honorary witch. Yeah. (laughs) It's the only way I know how to. Yeah. Include her. Yeah, I just wanted to tell her story because it's great. And okay. I love her. Okay, so try to imagine, like, what would life be like if we didn't have, like, media, news, social outlets, like, journalism to cover all the stories in the world that we have? Like, just take it back to the newsies. <laughs> like, when they, okay. like, rushed to get word out and people would just, like, pay to scarf that info up. Mm-hmm. Like, that was the life. Mm-hmm. Like, you didn't have, like, instant gratification mm-hmm. news, like journalism. Yeah. So, meet Elizabeth Jane Cochran, or Nellie Bly, as she goes by. Oh, Nellie Bly. She's so great. Yes. She was born in 1864 in the town of Cochran's Mills, uh, it's in Pennsylvania. Her family was kind of a big deal. Her grandfather, Robert Cochran, had immigrated to Baltimore and Maryland. Then he and his wife had moved to a small town in Apollo, Pennsylvania. And um, they had a son named Michael, who was Elizabeth's father. But Michael's father died only a few years after Michael was born. So his mother had to raise him alone. She was a great mom, though, so nothing horrible happened to him. <laughs> and like, <laughs> unlike our, every story we tell all you. Of our other stories. Uh, and he became an accomplished blacksmith who was well-liked in his local community. And by the age of 30, he was elected a justice of the peace and remained involved in state politics. So in 1845, he bought a rundown mill and all the land around it. And he turned it into a really successful business and like successful, like thriving community. Great. So he's like doing it. Yeah. <laughs> he's hustling. Yes. So they decided to rename the town from Pitt's Mill to Cochran's Mill in his honor. Oh, nice. Oh, people loved him. Yeah. Do you think anybody will ever rename a town after us? Nicholasville. For sure. <laughs> it will become Kara Meganville. Kara Meganville. Kameganville. Kameganville. Or Morrowville. Yes. Either way, you guys let us know what you think. It's fine. Yeah. We're, we could do a poll, I guess. We're here for it. (laughs) (laughs) That seems important. Let's Uh, call city council right now. Yeah, we probably want to hit them up first. So, Elizabeth's mother, Mary, was Michael's second wife. He already had 10 children from his first marriage. Dang. Yeah. Elizabeth was the third of five from um, Mary. 
and Michael. So he had 10 from his first marriage. And then 15. So 15 total. She was a super spunky kid, and she had the nickname Pink because or Pinky. She loved the color pink. Not just like wearing it all the time. So they just called her that. Uh, It was really like the white picket fence life until 1870. At the age of 60, Michael died all of a sudden, um, which was like super shocking. And nobody like had any thoughts of, you know, that ever happening Mm because he was fine. The town loved him. So um, it just after two months in the courts, it was decided that uh, a third of his estate went to Mary and the remainder was split between all of his children, his 15 kids. And Elizabeth was only six at the time, so she was appointed a guardian to manage her funds. And it wasn't her mom. It was Colonel Samuel McCartney Jackson. Because women names. can't do math? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was I mean, a I'm not a hero good shining example War. of that, but still. <laughs> I mean, still. Like, why can't mom manage I could funds? if I wanted to, okay? Right, I right. I don't want to. Yes. So he was a hero... The colonel was? Yes, of the Civil War. So, Mary, Elizabeth's mom, was left to raise all the kids by herself in 1873. She fell for the charm of a Civil War veteran named John Ford. Uh, He liked to be called Jack, and he was a widower with no children. But he was an abusive drunk, and he actually hid that until they were married. So, once they were married, he started beating Mary until she just feared for her life. In 1878, she filed for divorce, which was not really accepted back in that time. Um, but so many people loved Mary and just hated Jack because he was yeah, hateable. Dick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that there were just tons of people that were willing to come testify on her behalf. And um, he ended up fleeing the town. <laughs> but it took a year for the judge and jury to decide okay it is okay for this divorce to proceed oh my god yeah so at the time elizabeth was 14 she had testified on behalf of her mom and uh, it all kind of had an effect on her obviously she saw firsthand how powerless women could be against men who would ruin their lives so like her father in his youth she determined to make her own way she decided to become a school teacher and she enrolled in um the close indiana state normal school and uh when she asked her financial guardian like do i have enough funds to enroll in this school like can i get through school he's like oh yeah you're good like you have enough money to pay for this i feel like that's not actually gonna turn out right yeah so he was a man Mm -hmm. and a colonel he knew how to handle her funds he wouldn't mismanage those No, How why would a you? man do that? He was a hero. He was a war hero. <laughs> Everybody loved him. I uh, don't like him. Nope. So when she finished her first semester, she found out that there's not enough money even to pay for her to return home. Uh, yeah. Where did it all go, though? Yeah, I know. Where did it all go? Yeah. So she was pissed. Colonel. Yeah, Colonel. Colonel Jackson. So she was forced to drop out of school, unfortunately, and her mom decided to move them to Pittsburgh. Two of her sons already found work there, and Mary decided to move in with them. So she was just like, come on, Elizabeth. Uh, They opened a boarding house there, and Elizabeth worked on odd jobs to help with, like, household financial stuff. So they wouldn't have to hire people to do that kind of stuff. Um, But she felt like she was just kind of stuck in that position of life forever. 
and she just wanted to do more. There was the Pittsburgh Dispatch. It was a paper at the time. It was published. They published a regular column by Erasmus Wilson in 1885. That just like pissed Elizabeth off. The guy wrote about women's rights and how he didn't believe in them. A woman's place was in the home, he wrote. And it was a monstrosity for a woman to earn an independent living. So she decided to write back. She was just like, I didn't believe in women's rights. No. It's not like, you know, the Easter Bunny. Exactly. You don't get to believe or not believe. It yeah. just is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And a monstrosity. Uh-huh. Yeah. So she wrote a furious letter to the editor, and she signed it Lonely Orphan Girl. It was. They said it was a passionate and heated piece fueled by her life experiences. And the editor, George Madden, was impressed by both the unique voice of the writer and the way she presented her arguments. He put a note in the paper asking for a lonely orphan girl to get in touch with the newspaper. So she reached out again. And uh, the chat went extremely well. Nice. He loved her. Uh, so it said he was encouraging of her views and he was super nice. They ended up actually becoming pretty great friends. Mm -hmm. uh, during this meeting, though, the editor gave her an offer. He offered her a right to reply to this guy's letter, like, publicly. Mm -hmm. Like, he would publish it. Um, and he said if the, ar if the article was good enough, then he'd start paying her and possibly offer her future work for the paper. So she went home and wrote The Girl Puzzle, which became her first published work. She wrote about the real struggles that women faced and ended with a request for women to be given the same opportunities as men. So we both know how each other feels about this. Like I really love just that as smart she and powerful. Yeah, well, that she got her first published article yes. and paid for it in response to a guy who was like talking about how women shouldn't be allowed to earn money. Yeah, you know, and like, here she is like clapping back. If at he'd him. never written it, she might not have. You yeah, know, or she probably would have, but it would have been then. different. So yeah. I just like that he was like, oh yeah, uh, the fuel to her part fire. of the process. Yeah. yeah, it's so fun. It's pretty great. Yes. So the editor came to her and said. What other ideas do you have? Like, I am here for this. Like, this is great. So she said she wanted to write about divorce. And uh, like I mentioned before, she this wasn't something you really talked about back then. It's not something that was okay. And she used her personal experiences to talk about how trapped a spouse can make someone feel. Um, and her family was able to handle it with dignity due to their social standings. But it was because of their wealth. Other mm -hmm. people aren't, weren't aren't so as fortunate. Lucky. Yeah. yeah. So, um, this article was significant because this is where she took her famous name. She first, um, had written like as the lonely orphan girl, but now she needed to choose like a permanent writing name. And, um, one of the other writers at the newspaper suggested Nellie Bly and it was the name of a popular song at the time. She became Nellie Bly girl reporter. I really love the name Nellie Bly. I, just I know. It. I feel like I've heard it before. After those two pieces were published, she was made a permanent member of the dispatch staff. He was like, heck yeah, this is great. Like, we're getting so much following on yeah. this. He gave her her first real assignment, and it developed into an eight-part series on the factory girls of Pittsburgh. Although her descriptions of factory conditions provided no, like, exposés of shocking working conditions, her interest in how women spent their free time <laughs> picking up men gave the stories a bit of an angle. Nice. <laughs> so she would, like, literally follow these women around, and they would, like, catcall the guys. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> 
After they brought her on um, as a staff writer, they wanted her to create a series of articles about the lives of these working factory people. Um, It was followed by more articles spinning out from conversations she had with boarders in the boarding house that her mom had. Um, And it said that her feminist and um, belief in workers' rights appeared in a lot of her articles, which earned her a huge following. Mm -hmm. But it also earned her (laughs) a little bit of hesitation because... Some people would write in and be like, dude, you've got to rein this chick in. Like, she's too much. This We're not going to keep, like, buying your newspaper or whatever. The Madden had asked her, like, okay, can you just, like, start writing about, like, traditional women reporter subjects of, like, fas- fashion and, like, nature and stuff? Ew, no. Yeah. <laughs> but she's, like, not the point. She was actually, she was like, no. <laughs> I don't actually know. I'm not going to. So I mean, she, that's not how she's made no, her whole career. No. So why would you suddenly... Really, can you write about this new dress that just came out? This new, like, fabric that yeah. came from Italy? Like, you. So she was like, no, nah, I actually have a different idea. <laughs> she had recently found out from one of the boarders that it was now possible to take a train from Philadelphia all the way to Mexico City. So she was like, how about you all just, like, make some stuff about me, like, traveling to Mexico as, like, a foreign correspondent? And they were like, what? What's a foreign correspondent? <laughs> yeah, like, Why do we care what goes on outside of the... Yeah. 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 Like, for what? No. What are you talking about? And it said they were super ha- apprehensive, but she ended up convincing him when she went to Mexico. Good. Uh, she took her mom with her as, like, a chaperone and also, like, companion. They spent six months there. She wrote articles that um, the paper published under the title Nellie in Mexico, which people already loved her because of her weird little adventures. Yeah. And um, it meant that other newspapers in the country decided to pick up the paper as well. And so she quickly became famous. She wrote about food, local customs, uh, several articles about bullfights that she saw or that they were being described to her. I'm sure people ate that up. Yeah. Um, but she did avoid trying to talk about politics because it was dangerous to talk about them at the time, yeah. which it still is. She did, however, mention in uh, that one of her local journalist friends had been arrested for criticizing the government. And so the government came down on her. And when she caught wind of that, like them coming to like question her, she decided to pick, pack up and, like, her and her mom returned back time, to Pittsburgh. Time to go. Time to, I got, you know, there's yeah. some things. I heard someone, what? Yeah. Time to leave. Yes, but as soon as she got home, she started writing about the corruption in Mexico. Uh, she wrote about censorship, bribery, and the incompetent tyranny of the unfairly God, I love her, elected though. government. Yeah. yeah. She was a freaking smart woman. She was. The columns were later collected into her first published book called Six Months in Mexico. Oh, I love her. She's amazing. It gets better. I wonder if I can still get that book. Probably. Probably. When she got home, she was put on the arts and culture beat for the Pittsburgh Dispatch. She got super bored of it, though, and just up and quit one day. She's like, oh, there's more out there for me. I'm going to see what else there is. So she was like, you know, guys, I'm going to move to New York. And they're like, you're in Pittsburgh? Like, what? What's happening? Yeah. What are we doing? And um, she kind of struggled to find work at first. So she decided to do some freelance articles for the dispatch. Um, and quickly she got an idea. So she decided to write an article for them about the New York newspaper scene. And that, I think she just did this slyly because she wanted in with all these other newspaper mm-hmm. like businessmen and stuff. So she started bouncing around from like newspaper company to newspaper company. And just, like, talking to them. She met with John Cockrell, who was the editor of The World. 
It was one of New York's biggest and most prestigious papers. And he knew her from all of the interviews she had done. So it was super easy for her to like get in there again and talk to him. Mm-hmm. And she was like, listen, John, I've got an idea. And um, she said, I would like to sail to Europe and then return in like a horse and carriage. Like, just see what happens. Mm-hmm. She wanted to write about immigrants who endured uh, like all the hardships on their way to America. And he wasn't a huge fan of this idea, but he promised he would take her proposal to John Pulitzer, who was the legendary owner of the world. He, Joe, or not Joe. Yeah. Not John, Joe. He, did I say John? Pulitzer? Yeah. Joe Pulitzer. Yeah. Joe. But I only know that because of newsies. Yeah. Uh, love I love Joe. Love and the world will know you. Yep. That's exactly it. I love freaking love the <laughs> newsies. And Pulitzer. Have we got news for you? I'm going to go watch that as soon as I go home. Heck yeah. Okay. He, they wanted to cover a different story. So when she returned to pitch her idea again, they were like, listen, we got this idea. How would you like to go into like a, an insane asylum? Oh, no. And, and kind of go undercover. Oh, no. She was like, wait, what? This feels like a trap. This was me traveling around the world, and now I'm going to be crazy. Uh, So they had received multiple tips that um, women in this asylum, it was Blackwell's Island, were being super mistreated. And they were treated more like inmates than anything. And um, it was really like women that weren't insane, but just like... Just been sent there. Something something was wrong, but nobody wanted to look into it. So Who cares? It's just women. Yes. Yes. So uh, even though it was a super dangerous assignment, she was like, you know, I asked the world if I could have myself committed to one of the asylums for the insane in New York with a view to writing a plan. And here I am. I'm doing it. So she decided to go do it. Yep. She spent the evening at home practicing in front of a mirror, stayed up all night in order to, like, look crazy. Yeah, yeah. She dressed in, like, a super cheap gray dress, checked into a cheap boarding house under the name of Nellie Brown. And that evening, she sat in the parlor telling other guests that they looked crazy before causing a scene when she refused to go to her room. And she tried to sleep on the stairwell. She stayed awake for the second night running, and then the next morning she caused a scene by refusing to leave her room and insisting that somebody had stolen her luggage during the night. Like, she put on a show. Can you imagine, like, you just keep doing more and more, and then, like, shit, that didn't work. Okay, like, what can I do next? Like, how can I just... Like, throwing herself on the stairs. I need them to commit me. Yes. Like, how am I going to get here? So eventually the boarding house called the cops and she was taken down to the station. The police took her to a judge to decide what to do with her. And she gave another incoherent performance. Um, her story was she was from Cuba. Uh, she had a headache and she couldn't remember anything. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. The judge thought, well, maybe she's been drugged, which, I mean, didn't sound far from the truth. Like, that's maybe how somebody would act. And um, sent her to Be- Bellevue a Hospital. He asked the reporters in the court to try to find out who she was and the new york sun and the new york times both ran articles on her oh man <laughs> like it's this mystery woman yes but she's like this huge journalist that's she's so a feminist and, journalist and nobody recognized nobody <laughs> so you bet her bosses were like good lord what is yeah. she getting into yeah. we didn't want her to take it this far yeah crazy <laughs> just supposed to get yeah. into the hospital 
Kara. Yes, Megan. I have been seeing all over TikTok these hair straighteners. Ever since I got my haircut, I still feel like I'm learning how to do my hair all over mm-hmm. again. Let me tell you, I have found one that works really well. It's um, from Tymo, uh-huh. T-Y-M-O. Yes. And it is the company for getting the best type of straightener for everything your hair could possibly need. It's all over social media right now with products from $59.99 to top of the line straighteners. Each of their products are built to last and have so many options for whatever your hair needs are. So Karen and I received a couple of the products. Oh we gosh. got a so straightener and a blow dryer. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about the straightener because that's the one that I have used. It has a cordless design, which makes it so right. handy. You traveled with it. Yes. So it's great for getting a good hair reset on the go because it's so portable and convenient. It's called the Porta. It has this 3D comb design, which is enhanced by cutting edge MCH anionic technology. So you brush it through your hair, it straightens as it goes, and it pushes against the ceramic plate that gives a frictionless glide that promises to curb frizz by 50%. And I've totally seen that because my hair gets frizzy and this just really smooths it out. I really loved it. Okay. So I got the air hype. I'm obsessed with it. I have just like naturally curly wavy hair so it was a huge game changer for me it dries your hair in half the normal time and it keeps your hair safe and shiny which i noticed immediately mm-hmm. i didn't even need to straighten it afterwards and usually i do because usually i have all those wild like curls left over yeah. the wind power on this thing is intense it's wild like i turned it up i was like let's play with these buttons okay so it has three magnetic styling attachments they're all amazing you know how some blow dryers you get are like if you go to a hotel and there's a diffuser and you're like oh my gosh this is like tearing my hair to pieces and it's gonna be so tangled not with this one and it's magnetic so it's great so right now you guys our listeners can get 30 percent off their first order at timobeauty.com t-y-m-o beauty.com using the code WMM30. So that's just two M's. You guys know our codes usually have three. So just keep that in mind. So with so many great products to choose from, now's the time to upgrade your styling and curling kit. So go to TYMOBeauty.com and use the code WMM30 for 30% off your first purchase. Goodbye. Goodbye. Summer is the season of hot temperatures, outdoor adventures, and refreshing water activities. Summer is also the season of rough on your feet causing dry, cracked heels and toes. Introducing Babyfoot, the original exfoliation foot peel that contains 16 natural extracts formulated to remove dead skin cells in three easy steps. Apply the booties, relax for an hour, then wash your feet. In 14 days, you've got baby smooth skin and your feet have never been softer. Letting dead skin cells build up over time is hazardous to your foot health. Our professional-grade DIY products, like our original exfoliation foot peel, our men's foot peel, or our moisturizing mask, are some of the best foot care products on the market created with your foot health in mind. Pamper yourself with a spa day from the comfort and convenience of your own home with Babyfoot. If you want a chemical-free, easy-to-use exfoliating process from the company that created the original foot peel, it's time to treat yourself to Babyfoot. Go to babyfoot.com and use the code SUMMERFEET24 and get 20% off your first order with Babyfoot. That's babyfoot.com and use the code SUMMERFEET24. So the doctors were united in their professional opinions. One declared her positively demented, <laughs> while the head of the insane pavilion said that she was positively demented as well. The vague and unscientific diagnosis was enough to condemn her. So on the 25th of September, 1887, Nellie Brown was committed to Blackwell's Island to Lunatic Asylum. So just think about, though, 
how easy it was to get put away. Yep. You know what I mean? Because yeah. she wasn't insane. But these yeah. doctors are absolutely like, yes, she is. And that's all it takes. Yeah. So one of the ambulance drivers that was taking her to the, uh, the ship, the ferry boat, I guess, said it's an insane place where you'll never get out of it. Mm. They weren't allowing her to keep written notes. Like they wouldn't give them like pens and papers and stuff to write on. So she had to just rely on her memory, which luckily for her, it was an insane one, uh, she began to just kind of watch the other patients and realize that many of them just couldn't speak English. They weren't crazy. They just didn't understand what the people were saying to them. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She was given a meal of five, on her, when she arrived, she was given a meal of five prunes, stale bread, and a pink colored tea. Ew. Yeah. So she couldn't like hold any of down uh, and she was stripped, given an ice cold bath and locked in a tiny room. She was given no opportunity to dry her body off after they gave her a cold bath, and she was forced to sleep with wet hair and wet clothes. Uh, she couldn't really sleep because she was terrified that if there was a fire in the building, she wouldn't be able to escape. There were bars on the windows, and the doors remained locked. They kept them locked in rooms. I guess this kind of thing had never, like, no one ever thought that someone would do something like this. So, yeah. It's really like, who knows what happened to those people? Yeah. But the fact that these newspaper guys, like high up in the company, like owner and high up in the company were just like, listen, we've been getting these tips and we want to listen to them. We want to do something about yeah. it. That they were ballsy enough to send her. She spent 10 days there. She had a horrible breakfast. They spent the morning in maintenance of the hospital. They cleaned, did laundry. Uh, once they were done with that, they were herded into hard wooden benches and left to sit there in silence for the rest of the day. How is that helping them? Yeah. Uh, if you were unruly or disobedient, you were swiftly punished with force. Uh, Nellie observed later that it was routine that it would just like... It destroyed the minds of these women. And they eventually just, like, yeah. felt like they were going crazy. Well, yeah. I mean, you would. Because it's also so hopeless. Like, what would be the point of even trying? Yeah. A lawyer. So the newspaper sent a lawyer to pick up. His name was Peter Hendricks to pick her up on October 4th. She felt horrible for leaving these women because she had become friends with them. And so, like, Blackwell had no idea, like, what she was about to unleash on them. Good. Yep. She took notes, like, on her way back. She's just, like, jotting down everything of her own experiences and those of her fellow inmates. She painted a picture of, like, 16 doctors who were assigned to the care of some 1,600 inmates. She said there were two that she said, I've never seen them pay any attention to the patients. So just two random doctors that were just like, Meh, we don't care. She also questioned the judge's ability to pronounce a woman insane by merely bidding her good morning and refusing to hear her pleas of release. Even the sick ones knew it was useless to say anything for the answer will be that it's their imagination. She also reported on the cultural insensitivity and language barriers experienced by immigrant women who spoke little to no English and a host of hostile and abusive treatments from mandatory cold baths to confinement in small, damp, vermin-infested locked rooms. Ugh. Yeah. It said while she was there, like, she tried to drop her act and be like, I'm I'm not crazy. And they were just like, no, girl, like you are, like, you're pretty crazy. Like, we refuse to accept that you're, we think you're a normal person. I mean, that's in hard. Their, in their views, like, this isn't normal. 
That's why labeling, being labeled as anything can be so... Yeah. Because some people will never see you as anything different. Yeah. Like, it's a really extreme example. Yeah. Like, yeah. Her first article ran, I think, five days after she left, and it was called Behind Asylum Bars. It became, obviously, a huge sensation. The psychiatrists who had diagnosed her insane um, tried to apologize, like, profusely. Like, oh my gosh, like... We never we thought never, we could be wrong. Yeah. We're we, men. Yeah. We never knew anything different. Like, yeah. you really did act crazy and so they were like please don't like publish anything else about us <laughs> so then like a week later she publishes inside the madhouse which was also super popular as a result the new york assistant da vernon davis set up a grand jury investigation into the asylum nelly was called to give evidence at it as well as leading to the release of many women held in the asylum despite not being able or being ill and it also listen to the number this led to an $850,000 increase in the budget for management of mental hospitals wow $850,000 imagine if they put that into i mean even that number yeah into mental health right now they were like you know what she's been through enough we're not gonna put her back into these like lady subjects again <laughs> so no more fashion no so after the insane asylum series she pretended to be a maid to investigate an unethical employment agency uh an unwed mother to uncover agencies that bought and sold infants oh a fallen woman to describe a reform institution a chorus girl dancing in a helmet and tights to recount life on the wicked stage a businessman's wife to expose a corrupt lobbyist uh, she interviewed women prisoners psychic healers a female rodeo rider in buffalo bill's wild west show oh, i love it yes she was once posed as a girl from the country to report next techniques for luring such young women into prostitution during the 1888 election year she also did a series of political articles from a woman's viewpoint including interviews with feminist attorney belva lockwood with the wives of the presidential candidates and with all living first ladies nice. she's like a total badass yeah i love her yep so once again she was like guys i really like this idea of a trip around the world like mm -hmm. please just let me do it mm -hmm. i've presented you this and you all are just you were punks about it first <laughs> so she sat down with them with like timetables and she was like listen like i know that book around the world in 80 days i'm pretty sure i can do it in 75 mm -hmm. and they were like oh intriguing mm -hmm. tell us more mm -hmm. tell us more so she wanted to see if she could beat Phineas Fogg's time. So John Cockrell was willing to give it a go. Uh, the editors were like, mm, I don't know if we're going to get much out of this. So she said um, she'd get another newspaper to handle it if they oh, decided they weren't going to. That's even better. And they were like, dang it. it no matter what. Yeah, they were like, are you serious? Like, yep. what? So they were like, fine, fine, just do it. A year later, after the proposal and more publicity coming out about it and people being like, we should let her do it. Like, you all should let her do it. This yeah. is going to be great. So now she does it. We'll let her do whatever yeah. she wants. Yeah. She does it. But then the Cosmopolitan magazine hears about it. And they're like, we're going to send in a contender. We're going to make it a competition. Was it a woman? Yep. Oh, that's good, Elise. Her name is Elizabeth Bisland. And she was a female reporter. Uh, they sent her to set off in the opposite direction. Oh. Yeah. I'll start walking your way. You start walking mine. Yep. Meet in the middle okay. in 75 days. 75 days? <laughs> Five days less than 80. <laughs> it's a little known rap. 
that yeah. goes in the nitty gritty dirt band song. Yes. Okay, so Nellie had a lot more time to prepare for her trip than Elizabeth Bisland did. Um, so Nellie packed lightly, and um, the newspaper decided to publish something because they were like, it, it may take a bit for us to like get her letters and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they published something saying Nellie Bly guessing match. So they wanted readers to like send in when they thought she'd arrive where in her journey. Um, and she had never been on a boat before, so she got, like, super sick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, after sleeping for 22 hours, the captain was, like, super relieved and, like, realized she's not dead. And there was, like, she was enjoying her trip, but then all of a sudden there's this guy who was just, like, following her around all of a sudden. And he was just, like, I'm gonna... I'm just gonna see where this goes. She's like a super fancy lady and just like telling her how amazing he was like toxic masculinity the whole entire time. <laughs> just like she's she, like, no, you yes. can be impressed by me, dude. Yes. So then it says that she was like super relieved when he fell ill <laughs> oh. <laughs> on the trip. Like, oh shoot. Are yes. you saying oh, yes? So she went from Egypt to the Suez to Yemen, um, hopping along the southern coast of Asia. Um, from there, she traveled to Singapore. In Singapore, she bought a monkey, headed to Hong Kong, got there on Christmas Day and 41 days after her departure. And when she arrived, the clerk told her that Elizabeth Bisland had already passed through three, day, three days earlier. And you would think, like, I would be like, no, that little. Yeah. But she was like, no, nah, I'm fine. Like, I don't, like, I I really don't care. She said that her only goal was to make her 75-day target and didn't care who was. It's not a competition. No. She was like, I don't See, know why. Like, this I is like her better. This... She's like, just because this woman's doing yeah. it and I'm doing it. Women don't have to be in competition. Yeah. Women don't have to. Let's say it again. Women <laughs> do don't not have to be in competition. You don't have to compete with one another. No, it's fine if you don't. Yeah. You actually, could, it's better. You could even support each other. Let me just It'd be fun. Yeah. Let's fix that crown, baby. Yeah. You're fine. Yeah. Ugh. But it's much more exciting when the yes. cat fight. I know. Crap. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. Women are great. Women are amazing. Uh, so it says rough weather in the Pacific took 16 days for Nellie to make it to San Francisco, which put her behind schedule. But her journey became such huge news that the world had chartered a train specifically to get her back to New York so she could make it in time. Oh, Like, they cute. were so supportive of her. Aww. And the train only had one car. They were like detach every other car yeah this gotta is, move quick this is, yeah exactly like this is just for nelly so when it was in jersey city where she became like just a huge celebrity people there were crowds everywhere she threw her cap up in the air oh, it was amazing great. yes she got home in 72 days yes she beat her target and elizabeth she beat elizabeth by four days oh i know that's so, great. Yeah. I love that she'd get it in her goal. Of yes. 75. Yeah. Even with all those set like weather setbacks and the toxic masculinity and <laughs> I love that monkey and <laughs> I love that she and this Elizabeth Bisland like both are just getting to live the life they're living yes. at that in the late eighteen hundreds as, as women. Women journalists. Yeah. yeah. I mean like, Elizabeth, we don't know much about her, but she was a badass right. too, obviously. Yeah. They didn't make them stick with like all their lady. Mm-hmm. 
investigations. So in 1893, when she was back, the world had her do a front page interview with anarchist Emma Goldman. Uh, she also reported a night at the Salvation Army shelter and scheduled an exclusive interview with the allegedly insane serial killer Lizzie Halliday, no. who was a woman accused of triple murder. Um, she there's the murder. There's, 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 there it is. There it is. That's why it's on the podcast, guys. Yep. She interviewed respectable women who spent their days gambling and stories on police corruption. She also covered real news, traveling to Washington, D.C. for the March of the Unemployed, known as the Coxies Army, and to Chicago, where she wrote a piece on the strike against the Pullman Railway Car Company. She did a jailhouse interview with a union leader, and she became news when uh, she got engaged to millionaire industrialist Robert Seaman. They married within a month of their first meeting. Oh. And he was 40 years older than Nellie. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yes. And people were like, she just married him for his money. Uh, and he just started getting, like, real weird about her, like, independence that he started having her followed. So she was like, I don't know what else to do. I'm just going to, like, dive into my writing. So she interviewed Susan B. Anthony. And in 1896, she did a story on police commissioner Theodore Roosevelt's plan to close homeless women's shelters in police stations by spending the night in the shelter herself. Nice. Yeah. Also, during this time of him, like, follow having her followed while he was out of the country or wherever he was, she wrote a lot of articles of, that included advice to bad husbands, <laughs> like airing her bad, yeah. like, dirty laundry yeah. or whatever. And so he was like, oh, fine. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't realize I was being a dick. Like, well, here we are. I mean, the whole thing of, like, he's 40 years older. Yes. And they're like, she just married him for his money. Okay. Yes. Why do you think he married her? Why did he not marry a woman his age? Yeah. They're both getting some from, the, from each other. Like, yes. this whole thing, I don't know. It just always annoys me when it's, like, the woman, she's obviously uh -huh. just after him for his money. And I'm like, well, yeah, he's after her for her body. Like, exactly. What yeah. Yeah. Like, what's happening here? So after all of that went down, he made her the president of his company and the public face and it's the ironclad. So in 1901, uh, the manufacturing company exhibited at the Pan American Exposition, and they created little medical business or metal business cards with Nellie's face and the company's information. Every time you say Nellie right now, I keep picturing the rapper Nellie with the bandaid on his face. <laughs> yes. yes. So you're like Nellie's face, and I'm like, oh, not that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, unfortunately, he was hit by a wagon in one of their travels while he was crossing the street, and he died. So uh, she became the owner of the company. They kind of hit some financial hardships because she decided she wanted to um, implant like the company employee benefits and mm -hmm. um, like medical care and pensions. Like she was just like, I want to be the first company to do this. Yeah. And so then they kind of just they struggled. couldn't afford. No. But then since she was struggling financially with that. She decided to go back to writing, uh, so she covered the women's suffrage procession of 1913 for the New York Evening Journal. Her article's headline was, Suffragists are men's superiors. Nice. <laughs> uh, and she also predicted that it would be 1920 before the women um, could vote. There's so much about her. Like, I'm just rambling at this point. I think this part's important. Because they're saying that they blamed Nellie wanting employee benefits oh, yeah, as yeah, what yeah. hurt the company when that's not actually what did it. Yeah, I thought I touched on that a second ago, but no. Well, I thought I thought you'd said it was that she wanted employee benefits and that's they couldn't afford it and that's why the company. Oh yeah, under. yeah. But really, it was because of widespread yes. embezzlement. Yeah, in yeah, the yeah. company's financial part. So it wasn't that she 
No, it wasn't her. Yeah. They, like, blamed her that part for it. Yeah. So they started struggling after that. Yeah. So while she was away, her mother was holding her property and trust during her absence, but then her mother died while she was gone. Um, and Mary had no living will. And mm-hmm. so everything kind of fell to her older brother, Albert. And he literally thought that everything was his yeah so he kind of took control of the company um so yeah so she had to take him to court luckily she was able to get a job as a colonist um before she just like lost all of her funds yeah so she decided to get into interviewing like emma goldman and she became involved in like various efforts to help single single moms and orphans like that became her passion yeah um in journalism her stories about broken families eventually led into um another column a new forum exposing and solving those problems she had people write in she would answer every letter um and if it was like too much to print like too personal she would just like respond privately which was Aww. huge yeah because she had hundreds she of letters coming in and, and trying to like make a difference in yes. a lot of different ways yeah so she brought on more like social service yeah stuff like that eight hundred fifty thousand dollars. she's like i can i can do this with this type of stuff too right um so then she started finding homes for these unwanted children arguing that birth control and against capital punishment like she's like no people need birth control like this isn't just she's specifically out there fighting for women yeah like yeah in all sorts of different yeah areas yeah um, and then it said eventually she regained her money, but she didn't have long to enjoy it. She wrote her last column on January 9th, 1922, and then she was hospitalized with pneumonia and it complicated heart disease. Mm. So she died on January 17th. Oh, eight days later. Yeah. Yeah. A, a column in the journal the next day spoke of her courage and her concern for the unfortunate. Nellie Bly, it said, was the best reporter in America. Oh, I love yeah. that. And then even though her brother was an asshole trying to take over all her stuff, she left him a share of her estate mm-hmm. and left the rest of her stuff to her niece, Beatrice. And um, she did so because she knew Beatrice would take care of, like, all the orphans and stuff. And, yeah. Like, take over that portion of her life that yeah. she wanted to continue. Um, and it also included uh, in her will a little half Japanese boy who she recognized as her ward and she left him some money as well. Oh, sweet. I know. So in 2015, Timothy Hines, the director, released 10 Days in a Madhouse, which is, it just depicts like everything she did in the insane asylum. Oh, nice. Anyway, I bet I can find that for sure. It's an interesting one. The graphics aren't amazing. Like, you can tell that a lot of it's green screen. But then in 2019, Lifetime, of course, did one on the same experience. And it has Christina Ricci in it. Mm. In it. And uh, she's Nellie Bly. And it's it's kind of creepy. Like, it's really intense. Sophie and I watched the previews for it. And Sophie was like, ooh, I want to watch this. Yeah. And I was like, ugh. <laughs> I don't know if I can. Yeah. It, it was intense. <sighs> Even though she wasn't a murderer. No. Or anything horrible. She was pretty great. I think it's good to tell some really good stories. Yeah. <laughs> about good people doing good yeah. things as well. Yes. Yeah. That was a, a little one. lighthearted. Thanks for sharing. You're welcome. I love Nellie Bly. And thanks for listening, guys. Yeah. Thank you all so much. Yeah. Um, we haven't said it in a while, but if you have been listening and you like what you hear, you can leave us a review. We'd appreciate it yeah. wherever you listen. All and over. talk to us, which is Magic Murder Mystery at gmail.com mm-hmm. or on Instagram. Instagram. And look for us on YouTube, Facebook page, which is Magic, Murder, and Mystery Podcast Discussion Group. Yep. 
Good job. Good job. Got it. I can never get that one. All right. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.